0: Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 7. The Screwtape Letters, Letter Number 3, Mamma Mia. Friends, welcome to Pints with Jack, your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we are eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon screwtape as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our spiritual lives. But this is the first episode without David. David it's just andrew <laughs> i'm wondering a- andrew is the organization going to be thrown out the window if it's just you and i
1: i can't wait to hear him listen back and just you know hear about his head exploding when he sees what we have have in store <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm i'm picturing that because i actually just saw on twitter he tweeted he, uh, a a listener a fan said this is the most imp- organized podcast they've ever heard and for david that was just music to his ears And it's only because of him that it is. So this is going to be fun that it's you and I.
1: Well, and I think that uh, what your listeners don't know is how much organization goes into it. David spends an enormous amount of time structuring everything, all the different Skype sessions and the interviews and the individual uh, episodes. And so if you're
0: hearing us, it's thanks to David, even if he's not here this week. He even did it this week. I mean, all of the quotes in the different sections that you and I are end up talking about here and putting our commentary. He did it, so he already had a touch and influence on this episode. So if David's here, it's pints
1: with Jack. If David were to be here, it would be pints with slackers. <laughs> Dude, can you even open my beer, please?
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, that's great. Well, let's kick it off. This is this letter of Screw Tape is so much about thwarting the interior life. I'm actually curious, this is a little pre-chit-chat here, how's, so we haven't talked for a few weeks, how's your interior life been, the prayer life, and how's everything been going? Man, you know, this last couple of days, I don't know what it is, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this later
1: because of the nature of it, but I've just, it was um, late at night, a couple of nights ago, and I just realized that I had somehow been resisting on some level just the the sense of embracing God's love for me. Mm. And, um, so I've just been trying to be mindful of that today, be mindful of his, these last couple of days of his presence of his consistent love and letting that be a reality. And it's just, it feels like I kind of got into a, a, a better room than I've been in before. So it's been, it's been pretty good. Although things are plenty busy and midterms and everything else are coming up.
0: How about you? Yeah, I had a real realization today, actually. So the prayer life has been doing a lot better over the last few weeks. Uh, Listeners know COVID hit me pretty hard, and a lot of practices and disciplines fell to the wayside, particularly without being able to go to Mass and the physical locations of stuff that I've built into my routines. And so that's all been going well. But I'm reading, and this will actually come in later into our conversation, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Mm. And he has a chapter on self-centeredness. And it just smacked me. The stuff mm. he's describing, it was a mirror being held up to me in a way I haven't had in about six months of how the, lo- the loss of my prayer life is leading to some despair. And that led me to become much more self-absorbed because mm-hmm. that's a natural psychological protective response. And I no longer was thinking about others as much. And so as he's describing scenarios in the book, it of in, in particularly in marriage, but I'm just applying it to my closest relationships, I'm thinking, wow, I'm doing that right now. Mm. That is me. Mm. And then he gives the antidote beautifully of, of turning out of yourself and, and getting over that self-centeredness. And you can really only do that with the help of the Holy Spirit and his grace and filling you up. I was like, man, this is, this is what I needed. So it's, uh, it's been going well and I got the mirror held up and the, the tools to hopefully make it even better. Mm, that's
1: great. You know, it's, it's what I said to Shane Morris on the Upstream podcast a few weeks back, and I really, uh it was prophetic. He asked, "What was the most important book at this time?" I know I've mentioned it here before, but I think that Screw Tape is really, as we go into the political season, as we go into the, as the sickness continues on, and as the mm-hmm. the sickness of selfishness, which is our lifelong sickness, continues, I think that Screw Tape is is a as a powerful powerful tool. Mm.
0: Well, and we've got a fun chapter coming up here to be able to dive into some of this. But before, David wanted us to explain briefly, or myself here, to the newcomers the meaning of the podcast and a name because we have had, he was uh, on Trent Horn, another podcast, which has a lot of listeners. So probably by that point, there's been some new listeners that will be here for this episode, and there's been some other advertising on Uh, the C.S. Lewis Daily Twitter feed, which has quite a big following. So in case for some new listeners, uh, Pints with Jack. Jack is Lewis's name to his closest friends. So that's why we did this. And the Inklings used to meet at Tuesday morning in the Eagle and Child for a pint. And so through the magic of the internet, we're all gathering for a virtual pint to discuss Lewis and his work. So that's why this is released on Tuesday mornings. And, uh, this is why you've heard the pub door open at the beginning of the podcast and why you'll hear the landlord ring the last call bell near the end as we finish up our drinks and we wrap it up.
1: Well, and a, a few years ago, um, so I had a friend who was a guitar player with the, the Cincinnati band Over the Rhine in their first inception, uh, Rich Hordinsky, wonderful guy. And I spent some time with him and uh, he was a big Louis de- devotee and would always talk about Jack as if he was in the next room. And uh, and I took on that habit. And so, well, Jack says this, and Jack says that. And then I started to feel as if I was maybe being a little presumptuous. And it was at a time um, decades ago when I was in some correspondence with Douglas Gresham. And so I emailed Doug and I said, Doug, um, I've got this weekly meeting and we talk about Lewis and I just, I feel like I may be being presumptuous to call him Jack. And Doug said to me essentially, well, if Lewis were alive, you would probably be friends. And maybe he is, and maybe you are. So go right ahead and call him Jack. What a compliment, by the way. Oh my gosh. Better than I deserve, but I have never looked back since.
0: <laughs> that is a great story. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I love that we call it Pints with Jack. And sometimes I worry that if someone sees it on the the feed, if you want to call it that, in the podcast feed, they might not know what we're referring to, which is why we have in it the C.S. Lewis podcast in the title. There you go. So our title this week is Mamma Mia.
1: Um, Anybody out there an ABBA fan? I know that they have undergone a resurgence of popularity. I'm old enough to have remembered hearing them in the 70s. Um, Of course, Dancing Queen is their big... uh, their big hit my wife anytime she's on an airplane will pull up the that mama mia movie um either the first or the second one um so uh these are just the titles that that we uh, mostly david but that we have have picked for episodes based on the themes they're in but um we're actually
0: uh, open for some audience centered creativity aren't we We are, and we could use them, especially because I don't know anything about, it's my, We every listener already knows my movie selection knowledge is pretty poor, my music one as well. (laughs) I think it was, you'll hear it in the next, the upcoming episodes, as we're recording this, it's a Sunday and Letter 2 is going to be coming out Tuesday, and I embarrassed myself with the title. I can't even remember what the song title was, but I said something and I was like, I thought this was referring to the song, We Are Family, and (laughs) and because i was reading the lyrics and it didn't remind me that it's david and he goes matt that is the song that this is i'm like oh my goodness okay i'm done okay that
1: was sister sledge and i remember hearing that on the radio back when you used to listen to the radio and so yeah we'll uh we'll skip over how much gray hair is on this side of the microphone um so we want to offer you know you all an opportunity to, to to participate and so if you've got a better title um for any of these letters. If you think you can do better, um, we're we're happy to have you message us on Instagram or on Facebook. And uh, if you have a better title suggestion for the first ten letters, let us know. And uh, what do what do we have? What do we have for them, Matt?
0: <laughs> yes, if they listen to the William Flaherty uh, William O'Flaherty episode, the After Hours, uh, he actually wrote the book "CS Lewis Goes to Hell," and we have some signed copies of it. So we will send one out as a prize. I might have to participate because William's a friend, but I
1: haven't gotten him to sign my copy. And so, you know, <laughs> no, wait, I'll, uh, I'll, we'll leave that up for our listeners. So, so that's open for you all. And uh, let's move
0: on to the quote of the week. Yeah. I love it. Let's do it. So this one I chose, well, it's obviously it comes from the chapter, but I chose it because it talks about God's plan. And then the rest of the chapter is going to be how the enemy tries to thwart that. And so here it is. The enemy, meaning our heavenly father, will be working from the center outwards, gradually bringing more and more of the patient's conduct under the new standard. In may, reach his behavior to the old lady at any moment. I wanted that because that's going to be important to be in the back of our mind as we do this. God wants all of these methods that we're going to go through to ultimately lead to a transformation of the way he treats his mother. And we're going to see how screw tape. <laughs> is attempting to stop that at every step of the way. And so keeping that in the back of our mind is gonna be really important for this chapter.
1: Well, and you know, relationship, whether with last week's letter, um, whether it's the relationship with folks at church or relationship with people in our families, those could be the devil's playground. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. that the enemy can really get us with the people that we spend the most time with. And I think it's wise to
0: be be aware. (laughs) I like how you called that the devil's playground. That's great. Absolutely. Well, let's do the drink of the week. Our drink of the week, thanks to Matt, um,
1: is actually my favorite Scottish, uh, that's my favorite distillery, uh, Kull Ela. Yes. Um, I like the smoky stuff. And uh, on the 22nd of November 19, or I'm sorry, 2013, the 50th anniversary, I had an eight year old uh, special barrel Kull Ela with Malcolm Geit after the Westminster Abbey thing. Um, and yeah, Colila, if McAllen 12 is your go-to, Colila is mine. It's actually spelled strangely. It's C-A-O-L-I-L-A, Ela. And we have a nice 12-year-old. So here's the chime for the drink of the week. That, it, discerning listeners can tell, was my pints with Jack uh, Cairn glass. And it's, uh, the name is The Sound of Aileh. And the color is a vino verde, like a greenish white wine. Now the nose, remember to open your mouth when you smell it. The nose is soft. Juniper, and junipers are the berries that they make gin from. Garden mint, grass, and burned grass.
0: Oh. That smells nice. Yeah.
1: I'm going to try my first sip without a drop of water. So we're looking for a lightly oily, soothing and appetizing body
0: oh you can get the oily mm-hmm. right away mm-hmm. but it's warm
1: it's welcoming the palate lots of flavor development that's true Becomes spicy yeah i'm getting that vanilla nutmeg don't know if i got the nutmeg white mustard that may be a little beyond me Me too. Uh, Complex and flavors combined with a great delicacy, and then it's got a long finish. Can you still feel that kind of going down? I can. Fully, actually. All right. Oh, and the smoke. (laughs) Love that. I'm going to do one drop of water. I've got the same.
0: Oh, that nose. It's a wider nose now. Interesting. It doesn't have as much of the burn on the back of the throat after you Mm -hmm. add the drop of water. And it's a little less oily, I was gonna say the same thing, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not crazy,
1: <laughs> and actually, I think it mutes it a little bit. I think that next time I maybe won't take the water with the with the kalila,
0: okay, this is a little creepy. I was thinking the same thing too. It just lost some of its flavor in this case,
1: although yeah, it made it subtle, but I think that there are more I can start to taste maybe even the the nutmeg and the mustard um. It's kind of in the middle after you first have a sip, and it's, it all kind of stacks up at once.
0: That's amazing to me how much that one drop of water changed it. Oh, uh, and there's the peat. <laughs> With the drink of the week in mind, now we do our Patreon toast. Excellent. Rather than toasting one of our gold-level Patreon supporters today, we're going to toast two young gentlemen who we heard are listening to this podcast for extra credit. Joseph and Joshua. Are studying the Screw Tape letters at the moment as part of their homeschool curriculum. So we think that needs to be toasted. I think that uh, their their mother probably needs to be toasted as well.
1: And uh, <laughs> I think we should probably suggest that they not drink any scotch uh, for a few years yet. <laughs> but, yes, yes. <laughs> but gentlemen, uh, we'll raise a glass uh, of this. Uh, what want you to raise a glass of an age appropriate beverage? And we toast Joshua
0: uh, and Joseph. Cheers! Cheers. Mm. Wow. Well, for the summary of Letter Three, David, again in his absence, so graciously wrote the hundred-word summary <laughs> that I'm about to read. We discover that things are tense between the patient and his mother. Screw Tape wants Wormwood, and the mother's tempter, Globos to sabotage their relationship further. Screwtape offers four different ways to do this. By diluting the patient's concerning his inner life, by making his prayers about his mother so spiritual that they're entirely disconnected from the woman herself, by nurturing daily annoyances between them, particularly related to tone and facial expression, all the while maintaining righteous indignation. At the end, Screwtape minds for further possible friction by asking about the mother's attitude towards her son's recent conversion. X. Here we go. All right. Yeah. right. Let's jump in. Absolutely. So, overall in this letter, Lewis is pointing out how Satan can use those relationships close to us, in, in this case, very specifically, his mother that he lives with, but any of those that are around us in a... a very frequent manner to draw us more within ourselves and become more self-centered. And I will say as I was going through this. It was amazing to me how much I could relate to these. <laughs> I was seeing myself so frequently and it's just so perfect timing with everything that I was mentioning, even in the beginning of a self mirror held up this with Timothy Keller's book really got me going. Well, and I think the idea of mirror is really important. Um, People often ask
1: me, how can Lewis 80 years ago know so much about the psychology of us today? And I tell them it's um, because of a piece of furniture in Lewis's bedroom. I had a chance one time to spend the night in Lewis's bedroom, and the piece of furniture that helped him write so well and understand us was his mirror. I think that he looked (laughs)
0: deeply into his own fallenness and then can describe our own. I love that. I need to get there someday. Oh, yeah. So we start out, and Screwtape writes, I am very pleased by what you tell me about this man's relations with his mother. By you, but you must press your advantage. And there's a couple of things that jumped out with me here. Mm-hmm. First, notice how he talked about pressing the advantage. It's a subtle comment, but I do believe that Satan builds off momentum. And, and that just hit me. It's I've seen it in my own life how so much it's easy to go on a downward spiral. One thing begets another thing, even in relationships, in your own spiritual life. And I just like how he said that. Press your advantage.
1: No, that's great. And I think that um, you find the pattern in mere Christianity that an action repeated becomes a habit. And so... Uh, I don't have classes on Friday, but I have plenty to do. But if I slack off on the first Friday of the semester, it becomes real easy to slack off the next one and to kind of have that... It's kind of like picking a string at a little tear and pushing that advantage pretty soon. That hole gets pretty big, I think.
0: And was it in Mere Christianity that he talked about how it shocked him that you could see Christians that were so vigilant of little sins. Mm -hmm. He never understood this, but yet could be so forgiving of the big things. Mm -hmm. And then as he got into it, he realized why there was a vigilance to the small things because the small become the big. Absolutely. Plus, Satan is a horse trader. He says,
1: great, let him go ahead and repent of adultery as long as we can make him proud of his repentance. We'll (laughs) trade pride for for fornication any day of the week. I mean, he's constantly trying to get us to slip one way or the other.
0: Mm. And do you believe this—we're about to dive into a relationship with his mother—do you believe this was influenced by Mrs. Moore? Um, her nickname was Minto, and evidently there may
1: have been these candies that she enjoyed called Mintos, but um, we're not quite sure where she got the name. But Lewis and Warney both called her Minto, and of course, starting in 1930, they all lived together until she went into the nursing home in 19—I think 1950 and died in 51. Mrs. Moore was the was the mother of Lewis's billet mate as a fellow soldier in World War One, Patty Moore. And they had agreed to take care of each other's remaining parent, because, of course, Lewis's mother had died. Uh, Mrs. Moore was estranged from her husband in Ireland. And so they agreed, if we don't come back, whoever survives will take care of the other's parent. And so Lewis did. And for the rest of his life, he took care of Mrs. Moore uh, and treated her at the end as, as his mother. He introduced her as his mother. Um, There may have been a strange uh, romantic and even sexual relationship. Jerry Root would disagree, but many scholars would suggest that there's some kind of romance going on with them. Um, I haven't dug into it too much, but I believe that that's what happened too. But you see this kind of overweening mother, and anytime you do, I think that you should think about Mrs. Moore. So, absolutely. You also hear echoes of it in later writings. So this is 4142 in 56, or 46, sorry, in The Great Divorce. You remember Pam and Michael. And so mm, there's yep. a mother who had lost her son and give me my boy and, you know, oh, how could you d- abuse this mother's love? But, but um, so there's, I think, an echo of that there. Orwal in her mother relationship with Psyche and the girl was mine, 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 mine. That's a straight echo from, from Great Divorce. And so this self-centered possessive love Um, that you see in mother figures, yeah, Here is echoes throughout Lewis's Lewis's literature.
0: So needless to say, we're going to be seeing this again. Yes, we will. (laughs) And we may see it in our mirrors if we're not careful. I love it. And so here comes the quote of the week, and this is where I got it from. So he starts out with God's plan. We get a glimpse of how God's plan, so that way we can better understand what Screw Tape is trying to prevent right in the first paragraph. And so Screwtape writes, the enemy will be working from the center outwards, gradually bringing more and more of the patient's conduct under the new standard and may reach his behavior to the old lady at any moment. And I'm just saying, I mean, God starts from the inside and works out. And I interpret this to mean from the heart. And when we cultivate a period of heart and intention, our outward actions begin to follow.
1: Yeah, and I think that we should uh, well be mindful of letter one. Um, And right on the first page of letter one, uh, remember Lewis, uh, The screw tape says, um, in ages past, people still connected thinking with doing and were prepared to alter their way of life as a result of a chain of reasoning. And so Mm. what we do in response to what we think or believe is crucial. And I think that uh, several people have pointed out that Lewis, once Lewis believed something, he did something about it. As soon as he believed in God, even before he became a Christian, he started attending church. He said, "One ought to fly, fly one's flag." Um, and so, yeah, this um, this kind of progressive uh, evil uh, and trying to get to our actions um, and our will—that's
0: that's Satan's tactic, tactic nearly all the time. I had a friend, we were in Bible study, and he mentions he was feeling very convicted from what we were talking about to, to make some actions, meaning his heart was being very moved and stirred, and he felt God speaking to him. And so my next sentence, because of Lewis, to him was, all right, what do you want to do? What's your concrete next step? I said, don't let this feeling pass, mm-hmm. because the more you feel and don't act, mm-hmm. the more you disconnect those two. What's your next action? It doesn't have to be huge, but you're feeling called right now to something. Let's, yeah. let's create a plan. The patient's conduct comes under
1: the new standard and he progresses in that. Um, Another thing I've noticed about the enemy is that once I recognize that I am doing a bad thing and I change my course of action, once I recognize an attack of the enemy, he'll attack me somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. Like we were talking about before, being proud of not being an adulterer anymore. And so the enemy will pick at us where we're weakest and where we're most likely to give in. But I would urge listeners and myself, once we spot a sin, address the sin, and change our actions, be on, uh, on, on, on guard for the enemy prowling like a lion to try and find us, catch us out somewhere else. It's, a, it's in a later letter, um, and I love this. Uh, tape says, murder is no better than cards if cards will do the trick. and all the enemy wants to do and this is mere christianity all the enemy wants to do is get us a little bit off um from following god because he has eternity to continue doing that work in our heart and uh it's in screw tape too if we get a little bit off and continue far down that line pretty soon we'll be far
0: far away and so i'd be mindful of that yeah andrew that was great that's uh was it lewis that Gave the analogy that I see it somewhere else, and I mentioned it, Mere Christianity, but I'll bring it up again. If you're in New York, and you're going to San Diego, and very early on in your journey, the plane takes a tiny little degree change, it can end up in San Francisco rather than San Diego. Or Mongolia. <laughs> or Mongolia. <laughs> yeah, no, that's Lewis. Um,
1: and remember, he thinks of us as eternal beings. And so think of a habit not as the the work of a moment or a year or a decade, but of eternity. And if I allow a little hardness of heart to grow in me in a thousand years, that's going to be a real grotesque sin. And that's Mm -hmm. mere Christianity where he says, remember that the winning one battle um, can turn the whole force of the war. So those little daily battles we fight, those have eternal stakes.
0: The other thing I wanted to mention from this this God's plan before we move on is I interpret this to also point out that we're about to see all these methods. He's going to somewhat, because it's screw tape writing, attempt to thwart the interior life, thwart the prayer life, for us to realize that these are actually powerful tools when done properly. And so these four methods we're about to see, don't interpret it as I'm not supposed to pray for my mother or someone that I'm struggling with. Don't interpret it that I'm not supposed to focus on my interior life. Realize that they're actually powerful tools, but... Because they're powerful, Satan's trying to figure the way to twist them and mm-hmm. to make them poor. So I just wanted to make that clear too before we dive into this, because it could be easy to think, "Oh, I'm not supposed to focus on my interior life because that could be dangerous." Well, it can be dangerous, but it can also be powerful. It needs to be done right.
1: Well, and it's it's another wonderful Scrutapian principle that we'll talk about in the future when he talks about pacifism versus patriotism, and he says, "Try to make your man either an extreme patriot or an extreme pacifist. Extremes." are always uh, right unless it's an extreme devotion to the enemy. Yes. So, And yeah, the, the wiles, you know, he's, he's certainly wily in, in trying to get at us.
0: And so then we move to the devil's plan. So that was God's plan. The devil's plan is, and Screwtape writes, you want to get in first. Keep in close touch with our colleague, Glubose, who is in charge of the mother, and build up between you in that house a good, settled habit of mutual annoyance daily pinpricks. So where the heavenly father is trying to transform the heart to lead to positive actions. I interpret this as Satan is trying to take the external, the actions that he's feeling and transform the heart in a negative way, almost like make him bitter. It's like one's trying to work from inside out. Satan's trying to work from outside in. How do I make these external actions transform his heart in a negative way? Make him empathize less, make him love less, make him see himself in his own Moral righteousness or indignation more. And so it's like complete opposite approaches. Yeah. That
1: good settled habit of mutual annoyance, daily pinpricks. Uh, I have a friend who says, I'm not much of a rager, but I'm a finely tuned outrager. And, <laughs> you know, how do we keep score, right? And do we keep score on all of those ways where we are being, you know, we're being offended? Um, and uh, he, how outraged are we? Um, and what should we do in the place of the, of, of the pinpricks? You know, you and I were talking before the show about First Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what love is if that's the case because I keep <laughs> endless sheets
0: of records of wrongs. But I think that's screw tape at work as well. I love it. Well, let's get into the first method. So we've now talked about this interior life, we've talked about outward actions, we've talked about feeling God's plan, the devil's plan. What are the methods that he's using? So the first method is interior life, method number one. And here's what Screwtape writes. Keep his mind on the inner life. His attention is chiefly turned at present to that very expurgated version of them, which is all you should allow him to see. Encourage this. Bring him to a condition in which he can practice self-examination for an hour Without discovering any of those facts about himself, which are perfectly clear to anyone who has ever lived in the same house with him or worked in the same office. Hey, I think we have our first uh, new uh, madism, this uh, <laughs> right
1: here, that expurgated.
0: <laughs> expurgated. I, I went through that. and I'm like, there's no point in re-saying this. There's a great chance I'm saying it wrong, but I'm not going to get it either way. <laughs> uh, well, you're
1: just, either you're a bad Catholic or a very good one, because that word <laughs> comes from the same word as purgatory, right? Oh, that's And great. to purge out. Um, and so have a very purged out version, right, where people are not aware of their own blind sides. You probably didn't notice because you're going to
0: spend very little time if any at all in purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think uh what we're going to learn is when I spend a ton of time in purgatory I'm going to know very well what that means. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but the way that people can be so unself-aware. Um and you know, I chief among them, I think oftentimes instead of a mirror I have a circus mirror and I'm not really willing to to see myself for how I am.
0: I was just thinking when I read that like spending 20 minutes at the end of the day or 10 minutes doing an exam of conscience, is a lot easier than forgiving someone who wronged us and hasn't asked for forgiveness. Like that's somewhat what I interpreted here. I do spend a ton of time in spiritual practices. And in many sense, there's a lot of good that can come from them. But if, if I'm not, again, I'm just focusing on those practices and not what I'm supposed to be doing with them. The examine of conscience is supposed to allow me to then forgive the people when I see that I'm falling short in my daily life. And sometimes like, oh, I did the exam of the conscious. I'm doing well. Oh, well did I forgive the person actually, <laughs> or attempt to <laughs> and here's a thought I had and and the theologically better than i
1: who are uh, who are our listeners um can can correct me, but I wonder if it's impossible to forgive someone who hasn't asked for forgiveness um because that exchange can't take place but your to your point, which I think is brilliant, is that I have to prepare myself to Think mm-hmm. mercifully of someone who's offended me. I have to be prepared for the moment of forgiveness, even if the exchange of forgiveness never takes place. And mm-hmm. keeping my side of the street clean relationally is a hard thing to do.
0: Yes. And I've always I've always interpreted, and this is not theologically, I'm not a theologian, but the way I've always approached it is I can actually, I attempt to at least, and this is what I pray for, that I forgive the person because I do have... Um, this in my own personal life. And so I've had to really reflect on this. I do attempt to forgive, even if they haven't asked for it. But what I don't do, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I recognize I don't have to have, the relationship won't be righted until they ask for forgiveness. And so I try to have that mercy and that orientation in my heart to will the good of the person and to no longer hold any bitter anger, resentment, or grudge. Because I think David mentioned this. I don't know if he got this from Lewis or if he got this from someone else, but when you don't forgive someone, even if they haven't asked for it, when you don't forgive them, it's like drinking rat poison and expecting them to somehow feel bad or something or to die. And it's like, well, no, the forgiveness is killing us on the inside or the lack of forgiveness is killing us on the inside.
1: I think you're right, actually. I think that I'm wrong um, because our Lord's Prayer is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, not as we... Forgive those who have asked our forgiveness. So, mm-hmm. and I hope that He forgives me way better than I forgive those who trespass <laughs> against me.
0: Amen. Amen. I've got a couple I've I've, I've still got to work on, and it's uh, it's uh, I'm a long way away. Yeah. Anything else you had uh, with that part of it, looking inwards and ignoring the obvious?
1: Um, you know, there's a quote. Um, I think it comes from Letters to Malcolm, where Lewis says, uh, if you're saying your prayers, but you realize that you should be downstairs doing the tidying up, stop praying, get up from your prayers, go down and do the dishes. Um, (laughs) And so much of it, again, it comes back to a point that I've made here a number of times, um, is to see things clearly. And that's what Lewis wants us to do, is to see our responsibility clearly. So, I love that.
0: What does that make you think of the uh, Martha Mary?
1: Um. I have sympathy for both um, because I'm mm-hmm. in the kitchen all the time and I love <laughs> hospitality. Um, and I think that uh, I don't know if Jesus would have if ever found a fault for anyone who was sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching, which is the, the most important thing. I wonder how much Martha was grumbling and complaining and thinking of herself while she did uh. it. I bet if she was doing it out of a gladness um, uh, of heart, and thought of it as service as much as her sister sitting at Jesus' feet, he may not have had anything to say to her. Um, so I think that there are, and I see some parallels in Martha to Susan, who's also always worried about the practical things in the Chronicles of Narnia. And those things are important, but not as important as attending to the Lord, especially
0: when he's speaking. I like that. That was a great way of putting it. So as we go to method two, we're going to turn to the tactic of— Making prayer, I don't know if worthless is too strong of a word, but definitely diminishing the value of the prayer. And and to some degree, actually, it can make it have a negative effect on the person. Mm -hmm. And so Screwtape points out in the beginning, let's disconnect the prayers from the object of prayer. Mm -hmm. And so he says, make sure that they are always very spiritual with like air quotes, (laughs) that he is always concerned with the state of her soul and never with her. Rheumatism.
1: You know, I think that that's um, when we say that we'll pray for somebody, um, I think we actually should. And it doesn't need to necessarily be, I think, hour long prayers, although God certainly calls uh, us to that uh, in, in moments. But I think that to be very mindful, not to be spiritual, but to be practical, if the needs are practical. I have a friend who just lost everything in his apartment. And I can pray for him, mm-hmm. but I should also send him a hundred bucks, right? Mm-hmm. I should also be praying with my actions too. I should, I should be doing what's, what's needed. Um, and I think that the enemy would like us to not pray or pray about this. You know, I pray that his spirit will rejoice in that midst of trouble. Well, no, I also pray that he gets the things that he needs. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, I think it's always finding that balance. Um, and once again, the enemy wants us at extremes.
0: And that made me think too, if you're praying for the state of the soul, Mm -hmm. you're somewhat assuming, there's an assumption implicit in there, that the state of the soul is in trouble. And Mm -hmm. so if this is like a a relationship that has some toxicity in it or you're just struggling with some stuff, I'm not sure that's the best orientation to be having because it's like, well, I'm doing all right, but I really just, I feel so bad for that person. So Lord, if you could just really help them. (laughs) You're really focusing on their brokenness and it's prevent it's keeping you from rather than empathizing, it's like keeping it off your eyes or not focusing on your own brokenness, and so it's it's a it's a dangerous disposition for that person rather than just desiring their goodness, purely focusing on rheumatism. That's a struggle that they're just having in their daily life. Do you genuinely hope that that cross is lifted? Do you genuinely hope to will the good of that person?
1: Yeah, well, and I think that souls are so tricky too. You know, there's that wonderful passage in Mere Christianity where he talks about the, his neighbor who's um, so shrewish and mean and terrible, and she's in church all the time. And Lewis says, well, just imagine what would she be like if she wasn't in church? How far has her soul come, right? And so it's tricky because our souls belong to the Lord. And who am I to presume that I know what's going on with their soul? But to see their physical condition and to pray for that, you know, that's certainly—certainly certainly we should pray for souls. But um, once again, it's perspective. Let's see it correctly, you know, how would the Lord have us have us deal with things. And sometimes it's being very practical about our prayers.
0: That's a great point. And those
1: can be little prayers, too. Just saying their name to the Lord— um, the Lord is going to take our poor prayers no matter how long they are and, uh, and multiply them and, and apply them where he needs. So, uh, so pray.
0: I love that. Next thing Lewis says, or Tape says, focus on her sinfulness. Uh-huh. And that irritation, his intention will be kept on what he regards as her sins by which with a little guidance from you, He can be induced to mean any of her actions, which are inconvenient or irritating to himself.
1: (laughs) Right? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. How well do I know somebody else's sins and how poorly I know my own? Um, When I was a young Baptist years ago, I remember listening to Jay Vernon McGee on the Through the Bible radio program, and he did an (laughs) episode on repentance, and he said, my beloved... If you're done, spend an hour repenting of your sins, and if you feel like you're done repenting of your sins, you should repent of pride. Um, there's <laughs> always more really repenting. Yeah, always more repenting to do, and this focus away from my own sinfulness towards somebody else's. I think that's always a tool. Um, you know, in the mental health uh, profession, they often will say, uh, "I've I've heard a number of times." Um, in recovery and elsewhere, that if you're dealing with a toxic person, the pattern of the, of the, 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 the sick personality is to de- defend their action, deny their actions, accuse, and attack. Defend, deny, accuse, attack. Um, and that's what I do. I defend myself. <laughs> I had every right to. I deny. I gaslight somebody. Oh, no, you're not seeing that. I didn't. It wasn't really that bad. I accuse, oh, well, you did the same thing. And then I just attack. And most of that is uh, out of protection from not wanting to see my own shortcomings. I'm married. My <laughs> wife can tell you all kinds of ways that I, that I do this. And I think that's the enemy trying to get to us as well.
0: When we were talking about that in the pre-chit chat uh, before we started recording, that I'm gonna remember that because that I do all the time. Mm-hmm. In the areas you do it, It's the perfect litmus test for there's something there you need to work on. Yeah. Next time you feel that, DDAA, (laughs) defend, deny, accuse, attack, Uh, that right there is, you don't need to pay a therapist to tell you right there, there's something that you are covering up. Sure. But it's also,
1: for me, helpful in toxic relationships. If I see somebody who is defending, denying, accusing, attacking, they're moving the issue away from themselves, especially when they have sinned against us, and putting it on us. And... I will fall for that, you know, because I feel guilty about my own sins. Yeah, I probably am, you know, guilty of whatever they're accusing me of. But if this is a pattern in a relationship, that may often be somebody who is unhealthy and worth maybe separating from.
0: And the final point under this method is he talks about building up an imaginary person and disconnecting from reality. So in prayer, the way you can pray for a person, this can happen. And here's what he says. Since his ideas about our soul will be very crude and often erroneous, he will, in some degree, be praying for an imaginary person. And it will be your task to make that imaginary person daily less and less like the real mother, the sharp-tongued old lady at the breakfast table. By disconnecting the prayer from reality, the thoughts and emotions that should normally be stirred in prayer to ultimately move him to treat her with more empathy and compassion, they're not going to be present because he's now praying for an imaginary person. And so that's, it's a brilliant tactic. You know, um, I had a chance to see Joy Davidman's copy
1: of The Great Divorce. Uh, and when they first met in 1952, he took it at Christmas and he wrote in it these words, there are three images in my mind, which I must continually forsake and replace by better ones, the false image of God, the false image of my neighbors, and the false image of myself. And he said that this was from an unwritten chapter on iconoclasm. That is good. It's so important. And so that's that action in, in response to the enemy kind of pressing up against me. I need to continually forsake my false images and continually replace them by better ones. And so if I'm not seeing God as being loving, then that's a false image I need to replace and with a better image if i'm not seeing my neighbor as somebody who god loves as much as god loves me i need to replace that i need to remove that and if i don't see myself as the beloved child you know the lost coin the 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 prodigal father looking for me to return as his son i need to replace those images with the better images and the only way i know how to do that is scripture and 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 holy
0: reading Mm -hmm. it uh Listeners will know this, you being a little bit newer to being a part of this, I go to this quarterly retreat in Chicago, and um, the eighth retreat is coming up here in two weekends. And anyways, it's very much about the false self, talks about just different practices to help get in touch with your desires, and false self, true self, probably the shortest way to describe it. Of course, eight quarters of this, there's a lot more to it, but False image of God. There was a section that talked about attachment theory and our relationships with our parents, and some of the, how that can affect how we view our heavenly Father, mm-hmm. it, our relationship with our parents, the false image of our neighbors. We're about to see that in this next section, where it talks about how we can start assuming things about our neighbors, and that can be really dangerous. And then the false image of self. I mean, my goodness, my false self that I try to build up to deceive myself because of wounds and belief that I'm not worthy of love. And so I create this false image of myself, present that false image to the world because I don't think the true image of myself is loved, which mm-hmm. what you just said was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Realize that your true self is loved. You are the beloved. You are the lost son that that Christ goes and reaches out to. The Father pursues you, loves you. And that is so hard because the world tells you otherwise. And that's why I like how you said go to scripture, go to the word. I mean, I I think so much the content we consume shapes the way we view ourselves in the world. And in a world that's hyper-connected with technology and social media, that's going to drastically shift it. But if we channel those out, turn those distractions off, create the space, silence, and solitude, as Henry Nowen talks about so Mm -hmm. much, realize that you are the beloved, cultivate that through reading Scripture, where you see Christ loving you, it drastically can change the way that you view yourself, you view God, and you view your neighbor. You know, not to bring it back to Lewis's best book. (laughs) (laughs) Love
1: it. But there's that wonderful moment in book two of Till We Have Faces where her father, Orwell's father, who they had such a troubled relationship, he grabs her by the neck and he holds her up to the mirror. And he says, who are you, child? And she wails and she says, I am Ungat. Well, she has a false image of Ungat, who is the god of love. And... Mm. She doesn't believe that the gods love her, but she speaks the truth even though she takes it wrong. Her perspective, once again, there's screw tape trying to mess with our perspective, but she says, I am love. She says it, she recognizes it, she just takes it wrong. And I think that, I mean, I'm 54 and about to embark on, you know, a decade and a half of ministry. For me, the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is that I grapple with the fact that God loves me, and that in response, I love him back with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then I love my neighbors as myself. Those are the only three things that I think are important in the world. How would our political discourse and even, I dare say, our voting change if I treated everybody as a beloved child of God? if I loved God fully, and if I really grappled with God's love for me. And I think that's what the enemy wants to keep us away from. Instead, I think he wants us to focus on what annoys us.
0: (laughs) Which, what a beautiful segue into method three that Satan does. And this one is probably my favorite of these different methods. Mm -hmm. He gets the person to believe that there's malicious intent around natural traits. (laughs) And how often do I assume way more into situations than actually is present? Oh, let me read this one. I love this. Okay. He
1: says when two screw tape says when two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voices and expressions of face which are almost unendurably irritating to the other. Work on that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness, that is so
1: fantastic. Well, and my suggestion is that you keep count of the 70 times seven. So when those things irritate you, forgive them with a whole heart and then keep account in your journal. Lord, I forgave her again for this. But then keep on keep keep account of whether or not you're having pride in
0: how well you have forgiven your own irritation. And uh, that may be a start. Does that nullify the positive? Do you get a positive for the forgiveness and a negative for the pride and you're net neutral? Re- well, <laughs> remember that screw tape is going to trade a worse sin
1: for a better. And if it leads towards pride, that's always where it wants us to go. And yeah, that might be a
0: negative two then. You yeah. get a positive <laughs> one for the forgiveness, a negative two for the, the acknowledging it. Absolutely. Well, then he goes on to say, bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particular lift of his mother's <laughs> eyebrows, which he learned to dislike in a nursery, and let him think how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and she does it to annoy. Oh my goodness. It's the most improbable thing that this person particularly knows a lift of the eyebrow really bugs you. But amazing how Screwtape uses that. Just uses that to pinprick you. And I think
1: that the answer is, and I wish I could practice this as well as I preach it, if they are going out of their way to try to be irritating, so what, right? Yes. And that gives you another opportunity to forgive. And, you know, (laughs) a soft answer turns away wrath. Kindness in the face of even deliberately somebody being irritating towards me. We'll oftentimes
0: shame them into not being so irritating. Yes. As my aunt used to always say, kill them with kindness. Yeah. Probably not the right intention behind that, but
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> there's
0: truth to the statement. Absolutely. It reminds me of that wonderful passage
1: in Philippians 2 where he says, do nothing out of selfish or empty. That's what vain means. Empty mm-hmm. conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And how much do we ever really do that do not merely look out for your own personal interests and so paul's validating for us to watch out for our own interests but also for the interests of others and you know you've heard me here define love as going out of ourselves towards another which is lewis's (laughs) definition how often am i both going out of myself and going towards the other and if I can't do both, even just doing one is probably
0: a good, a good enough start. <laughs> <laughs> you know my favorite part about the end of this, though, this, this method, call it, method number three, don't let him consider he's annoying too. So Screwtape writes, of course, never let him suspect that he has tones and looks, which similar, similarly annoy her. It's he cannot see or hear himself, this is easily managed you know matt i hadn't really even thought about
1: it until i just heard you talk about it just now i think that um if if the lift of an eyebrow or the tone of a voice can be a blow in the face i think that the lift of an eyebrow or the tone of a voice can be a positive and loving thing and how can i use those expressions as expressions of grace um how can i make somebody feel their belovedness in a way that i that i hadn't before um and uh, if those expressions can be used by the enemy, of course, those expressions are invented by God, and I can use them well. Um, I've had a chance a couple of times to meet the Archbishop, former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. Um, and a couple of months ago, my, my bishop, Andy Doyle, the bishop, Episcopal Bishop of Texas, tweeted out uh, a, a quote from, from Rowan, which has become a really kind of a North Star for me. Rowan said, when I meet somebody, I ask myself two questions— how can I love them better? And what do I have to learn from this person? What can I learn from them? And how can I love them? And I think that those are great goals. I'm woefully inadequate at this. Uh, you can ask my <laughs> wife. Um, and, but, I, but I hope maybe to,
0: to, to grow in that. It's, it's interesting when you say that. It reminded me of two scenarios where people have actually done that in my life, very distinctly. Of course, there's been many more. But these were both confessions with a priest different priests so the first one san diego both again i was feeling a lot of shame and it's a very tough thing sometimes when you're going to confession you're feeling shame and shame is a tool of the satan and the enemy and thankfully god through the confessional helped me with this but i was feeling shame and i'm sharing what i'm struggling with and the priest just looks at me and the way he spoke in a loving tone Mm. I felt like Christ was looking at me, mm. and I walked away with the shame gone. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was. He didn't actually say anything profound. It was just the the tenderness in his eyes, and the compassion, and the love. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened on. I can't remember if this was. This might have been with David. At all listeners blur together when you're recording frequently. But it, this might have been the last episode that we did, or you might have been on an Andrew. But it was at that. Experience at the confessional a couple weeks ago, and when I was feeling really a state of despair, and coincidentally, this a lot of Catholic churches don't do this, but during the service, it was doing a confession in the in the liturgy of the Eucharist. This is building up for anyone who last minute wanted to go to confession, and I didn't realize it, and I was feeling as down as I had been in about a year, and just went. And the way he said at the end of it all, because I started crying to him mm-hmm. of just some struggles, and he goes. I want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. And the way he said it mm-hmm. just pierced me. I mean, it was like, I believed he meant it, and I believed that it would be impactful. Mm-hmm. And I can say weeks later that it's been a transformation. It's been wonderful. I can feel God's grace working in my life. So these are perfect examples of exactly what you're saying. The tone of a voice in the ladder, the first one, like his expression looking at me, were very profoundly powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that...
1: um I think that all priests, and I'm studying for not the Catholic priesthood, but the Episcopal priesthood, the the concept is the priest stands in locum Christi, in the place of Christ. But my priesthood, future priesthood, your priest priesthood, these are echoes of what St. Peter discusses as the priesthood of all believers. And we can do that for each other. We can bring the Lord's forgiveness having been forgiven we can carry God's love towards each other and if i am acting and feeling loving towards somebody i should pay attention cuz the enemy's going to try to screw with that um, <laughs> and try to try to mess with that but that's that's the job to do those things for each other the last thing's thing i'll say about this is um, uh, the the scripture encourages us to let no root of bitterness grow up And let's remember how small a root is. And a root is small, it's dark, it's hidden. Mm, But if mm. we nurture it with enough manure, (laughs) it will grow up into real bitterness. And so I think that what we need to do is not only pull out these little small roots, but also replace them with good things instead that can bloom. Um, I have a Southern friend who said, well, Andrew, I have real trouble thinking of myself as being a sinner, but I do confess to being rather small from time to time. And I think that that's an accurate description of it, you know? And when am I being small-hearted? And when am I being ungenerous? And how can I be the bigger person, you know, towards it? You know, it... um, I think that, that that leads to kind of, you know, how how people react to, uh, to what happens in the conversion when we actually see these things taking place. We root out those those roots of bitterness.
0: You realize you have a great Southern accent. Well, thank you. I lived in Nashville, Tennessee
1: for a number of years. It was wonderful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. So what are the enemy's plans of attack? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're going to be wrapping this up. This is the last paragraph. So in here, Screwtape says, Finally, tell me something about the old lady's religious position. Is she at all jealous of the new factor in her son's life? It all piqued that he should have learned from others in so late what she considers she gave him such good opportunity of learning in childhood. Does she feel he's making a great deal of fuss about it? or that he's getting in on very easy terms. Remember the elder brother in the anime story? What did you make of that?
1: Well, you know, I just uh, just recently did chapter 21 in uh, the last chapter of book one of Till We Have Faces, and uh, this incredible jealousy of, uh, of Orwell. And I think that jealousy is this real good twisting mirroring of love, you know, when I'm jealous of somebody, I don't want them to be loved. And I want myself to be loved in a different way. And so I think that that's what Screwtape's doing. Oh, well, how dare he get religion now? Wasn't my religion, you know, good enough for him? Oh, my goodness. And Lewis talks about, uh, talks about this same experience being here and also in, in his letters. Talks about it being there um, in, in Orwald as well. Oh, well, you've got a religious vocation. Well, we must not be good enough for you, you know, and this kind of comparison and less than and accusatory thing. I think that that's kind of what's some of what's going on here.
0: I love that. And then jealousy, I mean, it's ultimate rooted in pride. And so it makes sense that that's how Lewis would finish this section.
1: I think it's also rooted in the very human danger. At least the danger that I face is this deep-seated fear that there isn't going to be enough for me. That there yes. isn't going to be enough love for me. And it goes back again to the those three great things, most of which is grappling with how wide and how deep and how wide, you know, how broad the love of God. You know, it's the Romans 8 love. And if I really lived that way, I think I would be a lot less jealous and a lot more generous with
0: others. (laughs) Oh, well, that's everything we have from this chapter. But what I wanted to finish with, and feel free to comment, but Mm -hmm. it's just briefly, this is very coincidental that today I'm reading Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And there was a part in it that seemed to pertain very perfectly to what we're talking about today, particularly with his marriage with his wife and a story. And it felt like, a real life example of screw tape doing exactly what we read in here. And so I just want to share this briefly. It was a story of Tim and his wife on vacation with the kids in New England. And it's a place they'd go to frequently. And he loves this bookstore. So he really wanted to go to this bookstore and see if there's any new books and used books that he could purchase that just stuck out to him. But that would mean that he had to leave his kids with his wife and be somewhat a burden to her. She would have to, to, to carry that for the day. And so he didn't actually bring it up. And then he also started resenting that she didn't bring it up. And so he, he wrote, I hoped Kathy would guess about my desire and simply offer the time to me, but she didn't do it. And soon I found myself deeply resentful of her quote unquote failure to read my mind. Surely she should know how much I love visiting the bookstore. I work very hard. Why doesn't she propose that I take the afternoon away simply because I deserve the break? I began to imagine that she knew I wanted to go to the bookstore, but was dead set against it. That last part, I began to imagine she knew <laughs> that, and, and was like dead set against it. Mm-hmm. Like that, that sounds exactly what Screwtape's doing here. He, Screwtape talks about being annoyed, mm. and that's what's going on here, mm-hmm. and how much it hurt him. And what I loved is he, he talks about it at the end, he goes, so why did I fail to allow my relationship with Kathy to be shaped by the gospel? It was, be- it was because I believed the gospel with my head, but it wasn't operational in my heart. The ability to serve another person requires the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, to drive this very gospel into our hearts until it changes us. It just seems so much of this letter. We talked about being transformed from the inside out, the gospel message, when you when you're reading scripture, that's Christ speaking to you in your inner life, and you're hearing his love for you, but you need to ask for the Holy Spirit to, to convict you in that and to go from your head to your heart and for mm-hmm. that then to transform you. Mm-hmm. And so there was just a lot in that interaction from assuming certain things to being annoyed from things that mm-hmm. she didn't do anything about. And it sounded like Satan, but then I liked how it gave the remedy of the spirit of truth convicting you. I
1: love that story. I'd never read that. Um, and I know Keller is a huge fan of Lewis and that that's a classic on marriage and that should certainly be on my list. Um it, it actually reminds me, oddly enough, of what happened v- exactly yesterday. Um, I was <laughs> getting ready to go do my Tobia Faces reading, but there was barbecue sauce for my smoked pork belly that was at the at the post office, and I wasn't going to be able to get to the campus post office in time, and I was afraid that they were going to close. And I went into the room, and I started just complaining about how I don't have enough time and and wanted Kristen to volunteer, and I manipulated her to volunteering to go to the post office. And I realized today that I should have just said, honey, would you be willing to do this for me? And to ask to be loved. Um, I carry around the lie that I can manipulate people to give me what I want rather because I'm afraid that if I don't get it for myself, it's not going to be there. To me, love is this kind of overall sense of a trust fall. To lean back and know that underneath are the everlasting arms, that the love of God will catch me, that I will never run out of all the things that I want or need that are best for me, Um, and to not trust Kristen enough to say, would you do this for me? Because of course she would. Um... And it just, that was a, once we get done here, I need to go ask forgiveness and (laughs)
0: add to her 70 times seven of forgiving me. This just goes to show your profound wisdom, Andrew, because I had to simplify a bit of this because of time, I didn't want to share it all, but you, you literally summed up the part that I didn't say Hmm. because there was a conversation he had with his wife and he expresses this. And then she expressed a disappointment and a dissatisfaction that he didn't trust her with that request, Mm -hmm. that he didn't allow her to serve him. Mm -hmm. She goes, I would have loved to do that for you and to have served you in that way if you had just asked me. And then he actually says exactly what you said. He goes, I almost never let her do it, but I serve her a lot. But I actually do it not out of love, but manipulation. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I prefer to be in the position of control and power. Mm -hmm. And so by serving her and not letting her serve me it puts me in that position. I was like, man, that is me to a T. (laughs) I do not let people serve me. I don't receive love very well because I just don't like to be in that position. I think, oh, then they can hold this and lord this over me. Uh I'm not going to let that. I want to be in the position where I could, in theory, lord it over them, but I don't.
1: You know, it goes back to Magician's Nephew again and again. What you see depends a great deal on where you stand and on what sort of person you are. And if I stand in full awareness of the love of God, and if the sort of person I am is one who can trust in the Father's love, um, then I think that that will change my vision of myself and
0: certainly others uh, as I go along growing in that grace. We're going to leave the commentary on the chapter on that note because that's profound, Andrew. And we're going to turn to the final section of Screw Tape Unscrewed. So how about we have you kick us off with uh, a do and a don't. So here's my do.
1: Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility, with humility, count others as more important than yourselves. Mm. Do not only look out for your own personal interests. It's okay to do so but also for the interests of others. I love that. That's Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And that's going to be my due goal for the week.
0: Way to, by the way, be an overachiever right now and do what was in the preface, or not even... I think it was a preface, a dedication, of attacking Satan with Scripture. Hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember that quote? <laughs> we'll see if we can drive him out with text of Scripture. Yes. And, and I think that the
1: laughter... Um, and maybe this will help your listeners. For me, the laughter is not so much laughing at Satan, but laughing at the ridiculousness of myself when I fall for his wiles, realizing that I can laugh at the way that I fall. It's America's Funniest Home Videos. Because the Father loves me, I can laugh at my own ridiculousness and my own stumbles. Um, Lewis says in Mere Christianity, if they are trying to walk, the Father is pleased even with their stumbles. Um, and I think that that's uh, that's certainly true. So that's my uh, that's my do for Screw Tape Unscrewed. Um, I've got a don't, um, and then I will turn it back to you for your do and your don't. So uh, my don't uh, is don't keep score, let it go. Who do you need to forgive today? What petty resentment are you holding on to? What petty resentment am I holding on to? Somebody pointed out to me that resentment comes from re sentire to feel something again. My don't is what am I, what offense can I let go of? Can I stop keeping score? What offense can I throw onto the cross knowing that Christ paid for it? Right? That that was one of the things that he carried, so that I don't have to carry it again. So my don't is don't keep score. Um, How can I wipe that table clean, tablet clean?
0: What about you? Yes. So I have a few, but I'll just go through them quickly as reminders. Do cultivate an interior life, but one that transforms from the center outward and actually leads to charitable action. Second, do pray for the genuine goodness of those around you. Pray for their struggles, the crosses, the things that they're bearing in their life and wishing the best for them. So not focusing on their brokenness and the state of their souls, but in the case of the mother, her rheumatism. If he genuinely wants her goodness, he would love that to be lifted if possible, if it be God's will. And then finally, and I thought this was a lot, the most important of my dues: do fill yourself with the spirit so you can perform the necessary self-sacrificial actions in a relationship without resentment, but with joy. I got... Yeah, I got that from Tim Keller. It's just, again, that quote of filling yourself with the Spirit. For the do-nots, do not dwell on the sins of those that frustrate you in prayer. That's focus more, again, like we did on the do, on their goodness. The sins, that's just going to feed your anger more, and it's not going to lead to empathy. And then finally, do not let Satan press and build on momentum. So stay vigilant. He's going to build off your bitterness and your anger in the more you stay vigilant with that, the less he can build off that momentum.
1: Hmm. You know, I might add one more don't in kind of a closing note. Um, the enemy is it never sleeps. The enemy is incredibly experienced with millions of humans, and the enemy has been practicing this since way longer than we've been alive. The enemy is going to have some successes, God forbid, but then when he does, turn those back around, untwist those, straighten those out, laugh at, laugh at yourself. Let us laugh at ourselves and go, oh, well, here we are again. The thing that has only recently hit me is that as frustrated as I am at repenting again and again for the ways that the devil trips me up, God is never frustrated at forgiving us. And he forgives us again and again and again. If the cross means anything, it means that our future forgiveness for the things that we haven't even screwed up tomorrow is already covered. So in that attitude, in that posture of being a beloved child, acknowledge it, let it go, um, let it be forgiven and forgotten because Christ has, has forgiven our sins and thrown them into a sea of forgetfulness and press on. Uh, let's laugh into the face of Satan and then uh, and do what
0: we can to live out this life of grace. That reminds me of Pope, a quote from Pope Francis, where he says, I'm paraphrasing probably, it's not perfect, but Christ never for, tires of forgiving us. We tire of asking for forgiveness.
1: Mm. Or of admitting that we need it.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I hear the bell. So let's wrap this up here with a uh, first a little social media reminder, guys. We would love for you to follow us on Instagram or Twitter. David does a lot with those. We have beautiful graphics going out on a daily basis. We actually have a specific listener, Brittany, who has been incredible making them for us. She loves doing it, which is, I bet I love it, but David's the one that usually does it and does the work. So he's probably loving the the time it's saving him. Uh, And also a reminder, if you... Love this ministry and you want to support it. Or even if you want to join our uh, Slack community, you, know, you can support us on Patreon. And those who support us on the second tier above, join our Slack community. It's growing. It's robust. It's active on a daily basis. We talk about Lewis. Today, I threw in some stuff on Timothy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, and other people started commenting on it. So it's it's a very dynamic community where we attempt to encourage each other, ask theological questions, talk about Lewis. So if you want to do that, support us on Patreon and you can join that. And we'll actually be doing a watch party at the end of this month, which I'm excited for as well. I don't actually know what we're watching. David knows that. <laughs> Something <laughs> Lewisy for sure. Something Lewisy. And then finally, if you if you want to uh, purchase some merchandise, as a reminder, we have this shop on our website, pintswithjack.com. We don't make anything off that, but all of our glasses we drink from scotch glasses, pint glasses, wine glasses. You can get any of that with our logo on it. You can get the t-shirt. And more importantly, you can actually access Andrew's eBay page, which he has incredible C.S. Lewis items, first editions, many different things. So tell us what's some good stuff going up there, Andrew.
1: Oh, wonderful treats! Um, I'm about to uh, I'm about to put up a bunch of first edition Narnia books, and you may want to keep in mind that Christmas is coming. Uh, I'm holding up in front of the camera, Matt can see I have two British first edition eighth printing. Of the screw tape letters. Mm. Uh, and they're going to go on maybe one at a time. Got a number of first edition great divorces, uh, a Time magazine. Lewis cover from 1947, hmm. so some real treats. Uh, it's C.S. Lewis fan, we'll put the, put the link on, but I try to find the kinds of things that Lewis fans would love. Uh, I try to get them at a little bit cheaper of a price, and you can find them anywhere else, and I, I just, I try to find the things that I want in my collection.
0: <laughs> you guys better hurry, because I might actually scoop one of those up. Okay, we'll give you dibs. <laughs> well, With that, guys, we uh, thank you for your time and join us next time when we're going to be going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers.